0: Hi James, Ben. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. San Francisco. is starting to get a little warm, and anytime a little bit of heat hits this city, everybody kind of uh, doesn't know what to do. It's 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 crazy. I'm I'm used to Australia, and uh, it gets very hot there. But it's funny. Like you get used to the cool, temperate, Carl the fog all the time, and then a little bit of heat, and everybody's just like sweltering. It's kind of funny. Uh, everyone feels so bad for you i i'm i'm kind of enjoying it actually but everyone around me is 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 wilting a little bit it's kind of funny to watch speaking of heat there have been a lot of hot takes
1: over over the last week about one of the probably more shocking acquisitions which is amazon and whole foods but before we get to that Uh, Our thanks to MailChimp for sponsoring uh, Exponent as they do every week. MailChimp, you can build your brand and sell more stuff. You can use MailChimp to send better email, whether you need to sell your product, share some big news, or tell a story. MailChimp's Campaign Builder makes it easy for you to create email campaigns that best suit your message. Our thanks to MailChimp for sponsoring Exponent.
0: That's a a new one. You segue. It is. We we did. I'm impressed. We got a new read. Uh, we got new reads. We have hot takes. We we
1: have everything. It, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a packed episode.
0: I am really looking forward to this episode. Actually, I I mean I normally look forward to talking to you, but the article this week you outdid yourself with. It was uh, particularly it was particularly good. It was kind of crazy to see the internet a flutter with the news of Amazon's acquisition of Whole Foods. And the take that you you came with was so unique to you and so different from everybody else and so much explanatory power. I really, really enjoyed it. Well well,
1: thank you. Um it was I don't know, it's kind of funny because the acquisition went down on Friday and I, you know, I used it right on Fridays. It was post podcast. And mm. I'm like, well, because I, I I feel like I immediately understood it i've i've I figured this this is what it is i'm like oh should i, should I write it now i'm like you know i th- I, th- I think it's gonna last the weekend so I t- and, <laughs> and it did it worked uh yes it was very popular i think there's an aspect I and mean, this is by far the most popular article i've ever written i think and and i don't think it's just due to the article though i think the larger thing is is amazon is I think in the popular consciousness, there's an argument that they're kind of the new Apple in some respects. Like they are the company that everyone's kind of interested in and it touches everyone's lives because so many people are used to dealing with Amazon now. And I, I think there's, there's I mean, thank you for, for the kind words, but I think there's something more
0: going on that makes it such sort of a, a, a big deal, if that makes sense. Totally. I mean, partly getting something to go viral like what you did, I feel like you need to touch the zeitgeist and, uh, I mean, Amazon was Amazon. I, th- I think your description of them right now is absolutely the case. I think that reached a fever pitch with this acquisition. Um, so yeah, you definitely had a you had a pretty strong tailwind, but it's not to take away from uh, the the perspective that you brought, which I thought was unique and really, really valuable.
1: All right, well, enough. Thank you. I appreciate it. Are you I'm blushing, blushing yet? I, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm Midwestern, so <laughs> let's let's get off this topic as soon as possible. So, uh, so the the idea here with, with the acquisition, the, the thing about this acquisition, and this is something I, I didn't write, but I probably should have acknowledged, is there are lots of reasons, there are lots of benefits that Amazon is going to gain from Whole Foods, all like the real estate and prime locations, the customer base overlapping with Prime, the you know all those sorts of things. Those are all true. Right, and and so that the fact that I didn't necessarily talk about those in this article doesn't mean they're not benefits Amazon will get from this acquisition. The reason I didn't write about them though is those are not reasons to do an acquisition. Like Mm -hmm. it's not a good enough reason to spend thirteen billion dollars, and it's not just the thirteen point seven billion dollars. It's the effort and angst of doing an acquisition, Mm -hmm. which I know we're going to talk about in, in a little bit. And so, to my mind, it's one of those things where there's something you know there's something missing here. What's the missing piece? And and. I find it very interesting when companies do things out of character, that's when that's when the time is is most ripe to sort of back up and think, is there a different perspective that explains this? And $13.7 billion is out of character. Amazon has only spent over a billion dollars once, and that was to extinguish a competitor in in Zappos. And actually, most of their acquisitions, so I broke down on Tuesday the Daily Update, they've basically done two types of acquisitions. One is – uh, eliminating competitors, which is a bad thing, but they they were allowed to do it. And the second one is to buy tech companies, which is what most other tech companies do—to buy unique technology mm. that plugs into their products. They're not buying new business; they're buying they're buying kind of infrastructure that goes into their products. If that makes sense, mm, totally makes sense. So if you if so, why is this so out of character? Well, that's where you kind of I went back to the piece that. I wrote a year ago, The Amazon Tax, which uh, the, that was about the very sort of structure of Amazon and the way Amazon sort of builds its business. And that was talking about starting with AWS and this idea where Amazon built a system that was scalable in the service-based architecture, both for themselves and for the outside. Now, now to be super queer because uh, some people were, were confused about this. I didn't say this, but there's sort of a myth going around that Amazon that AWS was like an extension off of amazon.com that they decided to sell that's not the case AWS was a completely new thing that they built from the ground up but they built from it, it from the ground up one from what they learned from amazon.com uh and two with the they already had just scale in terms of like buying server stuff and servers and data centers, all that sort of thing because of Amazon.com. And three, the the intention was to shift Amazon.com to the, the infrastructure, which they have, you know, actually, from what I understand, they haven't done it completely. It's still a bit of a hybrid, which is kind of understandable. You're running a massive store, right? But the idea is instead of building this fully integrated sort of solution from the bottom to the top, you build, what are primitives? You build storage, you build database, you build processing, and you expose it as services so that you can build lots of different types of businesses on it, whether that be an e-commerce store, mm. or you can sell those as a service to folks on the outside, which is what AWS basically is. And it's, it's you know, where Apple is the ultimate definition of an integrated company. Mm. Amazon is the
0: ultimate definition of a modular company. I remember talking with you about this last year and that that description, that mental framework to Amazon is so valuable to understand it. And the the other thing to recognize is the amount of discipline it takes to take that approach. Because when you're starting something from scratch, you're just like let's just get this thing off the ground and you don't want I, I you don't want the overhead of having to create boundaries between organizations and how they're going to talk to one another as if like two separate business units are going to talk to one another as if they're separate organizations like part of the value of doing things in house is that you don't have to get the interfaces between modular pieces worked out and therefore it takes so much discipline to take the approach that that Amazon does and I mean, they have reaped the benefits. They've reaped the benefits time and time again. And no bigger example exists than AWS because they bring scale and it immediately gets big as a result of that. And they figure out all the problems internally and then they just flip the switch and open it outside. And now AWS is a huge part of their business. Right. And and what's interesting is that's actually –
1: the same model that they're that that they're doing in retail now. And again, this is a transition like to your point. When you start out, you do build all sorts of integrated stuff. And and they started out with a traditional retail model where they bought items and they sold them. Right. They were they were a, a middleman basically or buying wholesale and then selling to, to customers. Their retail is in a massive transition away from that to being where they are a logistics and fulfillment provider, and third-party merchants sell on Amazon. It's fulfilled by Amazon, and it's covered by Prime. and. Basically, what they do is they pay Amazon a fee to store it in Amazon's warehouses, and then Amazon takes a percentage of the sale. So Amazon's just in the middle; they're not actually holding inventory. They're I mean, they are holding inventory from a physical sense, but they're from a on their balance sheet, they're not holding it. They're actually getting paid. They're like a warehouse provider, and then they're they're passing it on. And actually, a year ago, when I wrote this and I quoted this in the article, a year ago, forty percent of their of their retail volume by units was was third party merchants. That's actually up to fifty percent. So this is something that's growing rapidly. And again, it's the same model where Amazon started out and they built all this infrastructure for their own purposes because they started out as a retailer. And then what they did was they modularized all that. They made it all into these individual components that can. Be offered as a service, and they—it's a service for Amazon itself, and it's also a service for third-party merchants. And now that's lo- allowing them to scale to a far greater degree,
0: and—and and not just that, but improve their balance sheet in the—in the meantime. We've we've talked the past few episodes about the the value of these platforms and platform owners and how uh, these they almost are like governments managing an economy and these guys have just got a demonstrated ability to nail this like they have a full blown ecosystem like particularly when you you think about that it's gone from them stocking the economy entirely to transitioning to almost fifty percent uh, or actually. Actually, fifty percent of all the sales that are going through the Amazon.com website are now being done by third parties. In the same way that Apple facilitates that with the there uh, with the App Store or, or, or any of these other ecosystems, and it is a pretty phenomenal achievement to have made that transition like that. Right, and and they're doing the same thing with logistics. Right, they're they're buying
1: like they've bought airplanes and they're and they they're building out these distribution centers, and you can see in the long run they will open that up in the long run, right? I doubt that's going to be for Amazon's benefit Mm. alone in the long run. You know what I I mean? It just, it fits the pattern. And what's so interesting about this, and you talked about how difficult it is internally to enforce this, well, this is something that has always been super core to Amazon, and again, I would encourage folks to go back to to read that post last year in case they missed it because it does get into how this ties into the internal nature of Amazon. Amazon is about internal modular teams they are again, they're the opposite of apple they're the exact opposite sort of company where they see it at I remember when I was at Apple, I think I made this point in the podcast before when I was at Apple, I was baffled when when I was going through some like training documents or something and one of them says we love meetings (laughs) and the idea was the reason they (laughs) love meetings because that's where you work through hard problems right Mm. and it's valuable to wrestle and to argue and to go back and forth and to get the best possible solution amazon's Idea is we hate meetings. A meeting is a sign of failure because that shows that an an internal team is not properly exposing its capabilities and what it can do. And you have a meeting because you're having to 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 work through problems that aren't clearly defined. And, And again. It's not to say one is better or worse than the other because it's not. Yeah. They are both appropriate for their strategies. And this is – this again, I talk so much about alignment again and again. Mm-hmm. It's not just business model alignment. It's also internal culture alignment. Mm-hmm. And what I mean is Apple wins by selling differentiated products. You produce differentiated products by integrating by by smoothing over all the rough edges by bearing that burden and spending the time to have a superior user experience such that people will pay you more money than they will for a commodity a commoditized competitor. Amazon is the exact opposite. They're not competing in differentiated products. And the one time they tried with the Fire Phone it was a disaster on as you would have expected. Amazon is competing in in commodities. They're, they're, they're selling paper towels. They're selling stuff that, you know, they're selling service, server space, right? It's a commodity. Everyone's like, oh, AWS is a bad place to be. It's a commodity. Amazon loves commodities. They love being in places because in commodities you run to the exact opposite you want to have a modular architecture so you can have massive competition across every layer so you can drive down costs you and you want to have scale cuz scale is how you gain an edge when it comes to when it comes to buy when it comes to deployment when it comes to leveraging your capital all sorts of things and so amazon is just as apple's super duper aligned on one side Amazon's
0: super-duper aligned on the other, and that alignment goes all the way down to the very architecture of the uh, the company itself. You just made an excellent case for the value of critical thinking there. I think one of the things that has plagued management thinking, and it drives me insane, is that people want to flick that switch off and just assume that there is a right answer and that – Either meetings are good and, and you read the, not to pick on these guys in particular, but it's the easiest one to do. Cause I have friends there and there is much great stuff, but it's like the HBR article, which is the seven reasons why, why meetings are great. Or the next day, the five reasons why meetings are bad. And it's, it's what you just said explained why there is so infrequently a one size fits all answer. And instead you have to. Understand the context and build the strategic and cultural alignment around what it is that you have to do or what it is that your organization is trying to do. There's one other point there. And I think this is an interesting thing that we should unpack when we, we, we get further into the uh, discussion on this Whole Foods and Amazon play. And that is you said Amazon loves commodities and it's really interesting because groceries in many senses are a commodity. The funny thing about them is that people don't treat them as one, so I have a friend who is I have a friend who's been working around this space and that uh, has has been involved in a bunch of ethnographic research on it and one of the questions for one of these delivery services uh, uh, that that he would ask people is why don't you use uh, delivery service X? And the answer that would increasingly come back is, I don't trust the employees of random employee of this company to pick my avocado for me. And it's crazy, right? Like in, In one sense, all these things that you see inside of a supermarket are entirely commoditized. But on the other hand, they're not because you want to pick up the piece of fruit that you're eating or that you're feeding to your kids and you have a, maybe you're going to use it in a salad tonight and you want it you want it super ripe or maybe you're going to use bananas in smoothies over the course of the next week and you, you want them a little bit green and all these things about seeing and touching it and feeling it. The fact that you're putting it in your body, in some senses it's commoditized and in other senses it's not, which makes it really interesting from the perspective of Amazon loves commodities. It's a great point. It, and it really gets at the core of I think
1: the justification for for this purchase. Let's set up. So we already set up the sort of how Amazon thinks about its business. Mm. Amazon wants to build out a service architecture in commodity type businesses where they can bring their scale to bear and, and and they have this just this massive moat because they they have so much infrastructure and so much investment in place and they have network effects going right they have they have two-sided networks where they have like sellers on one side and merchants on the other or a scale on one side in the case of like AWS and then they have they have users in customers on the other that's what amazon does they build these these service architectures with huge scale and network effects it, mm. and it's dominant mm-hmm. but To your point, the the issue with groceries is exactly that. Groceries are fundamentally different from lots of other items on e-commerce. And I use the example in the article starting out with books. Why did Amazon start with books? Well, books, if you know the title of the book, it's the same book. Whether you buy it at Amazon or you buy it at Borders or you buy it at Barnes & Noble or whatever it might be, it's the same book. And if you have a book in the warehouse – I obviously you don't want to carry it in the warehouse that long because you're going to bear warehouse costs. But the book's not going anywhere, right? It's not going to like decompose at least in the next you know X amount of years. <laughs> I mean, if you hold it for 100 years, it might as But anyhow, you get my point. Mm. Food is the exact op- Food is very, very different, particularly fresh food. One people really want to your point. It's it's a sort. It's a very experiential sort of thing. You want to touch mm. and feel it and, and 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 be aware of it. And two, it's perishable. And that makes it so much different. The fact that y- you can only hold on to an avocado for like – well, an avocado you only hold on for like three hours before it's, before it's not ripe anymore. <laughs> but like other fruit, you can only hold on for a few days or a few weeks or whatever it might be, and, and then it's gone. And this was the fundamental challenge that Amazon faced when it came to groceries. So I think there's two things to unpack here. One, why does Amazon want to get into groceries? And two, what are the challenges that they mm. faced? Uh, what should we do first? I think why they want to get into groceries. So I, I think the reason to get into groceries is one, it, it, it's just the it's the biggest part of the of the of the of the American paycheck, and we're going to focus on America here because Whole Foods is an American play, and that's mm. by far Amazon's sort of dominant space. It's mm-hmm. like twenty percent of 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 retail. It's a huge part of retail, and not just that, but. Amazon wants to make Prime the sort of default for everything that you do. And what's so powerful about that is... Prime is placing a layer of differentiation on top of commodity goods such that you're actually less likely to price compare, which is kind of an incredible trick when you mm. think about it. Because, I mean, the problem with commodities is you just – you always search out the lowest price. And ha- to having to always have the lowest price, particularly in e-commerce when a store could be anywhere, you could just go on Google and it will list whatever number of things. That's a really hard thing to do consistently, right? So what does Prime do? The genius of Prime is – once you're used to buying from Prime, you don't even bother looking anywhere else. You just go to Amazon. You you have the only search Prime selected. You find your thing or you scan the barcode and you buy it. You don't even think about it. And that's selling differentiation just as much as Apple is because it's it's the user experience. You don't have
0: to think about it. It's there's no mental burden. You just buy it. It's crazy how clever it is. Uh, and I was I was probably resistant to it at first, and I I can't claim to have thought that I would have come up with the same idea, but that consistent shipping fee, you see the price and there's always shipping on something online and it gets to you after a while. And eventually it gets to you enough that you decide to invest and then it starts preying on another one of uh, another one of these l- little tricks inside of our head that get played on us which is the sunk cost fallacy we've already invested this 99 and now we need to do everything we can to take advantage of it and plus it's still it's 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 not just the the sunk cost it's also like ah and i don't have to worry about shipping and they're always positioning it as cheapest and eventually it gets to the point where it may not actually always be cheapest but the mental burden is reduced and you've got that sunk cost fallacy and it's like i'm just gonna go on amazon.com and search for something because I'm gonna find it and I don't need to worry. Right.
1: And it's not even a it's not even a conscious decision. It becomes a habit. It becomes mm. a lifestyle. And this something and this is the part that I didn't really appreciate, you know, about things like prime video and all that sort of stuff. And 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 if you think about it, if you can get into that habit where your lifestyle you just buy everything on, on, on Amazon, mm. then the amount you're willing to pay for customer acquisition like there's almost no limit to it. And the lifetime value of being the the default source for all purchases is pretty significant. And I'm pretty sure Amazon has a pretty good handle on how significant that number is. As for, from what we know on the outside, prime members spend three to four times as much as non-prime members a year. And that number I'm sure is only going up. And I bet it's actually higher than that once you actually know the internal numbers of Amazon. And Amazon also knows like what is the lifetime, what is the annual like value of a prime member over time i i bet you the longer you're a prime member the more you spend and and the more your value is and you think about that the idea of you know, using Prime Video, for example, where you have must-win shows, and I think Amazon cares real a lot about winning awards and things like mm. that, because those are things that drive you to to try it out because you want to catch up, you know, see the hot show and oh I have Prime, let me try ordering now. Oh wow, that's really easy, and you get into that habit, right? And building habits is so important. I know I've said this in the content strategy, but this is something I think about. The reason I don't have trials, even though I could probably get a ton of signups, is because I want to have the opportunity when someone pays, they are motivated to read that daily update, right? And I have like twenty opportunities to make it into a habit. And, and having things be habits is so, so powerful, and it's something Amazon understands at such a fundamental level, and this is why groceries matter because as long as Amazon doesn't have a play in groceries, the, the sort of illusion is not complete. They don't fully have you in their sort of web. And there's an opening and an opportunity to go somewhere else, to go, especially to go to like Walmart or Target, for example. And all this stuff that Amazon sells is also there. And you're already at the store. You might as well pick it up as well. And,
0: and it's the missing piece, it's, it's, it's almost more defensive than anything. There's a there's an anecdote. Well, it's not even an anecdote. There's an illustration that really brings what you just said to life, which is before Amazon, or it might have been while Amazon was becoming dominant, but independent of that, the, the, the existing retailers have done a bunch of ethnographic research on folks. And one of the times in which they will try their absolute hardest to get a hold of you as a customer is when you move. And the reason for that is all your habits go up in the air, like your schedule, goes up, where you shop goes up. Everything is up in the air for grabs, and they have. This is something that not just Amazon has recognized, but retailers that came before Amazon have recognized. And this is why, when the USPS does the the you change your mailing address, you will get all these coupons in the mail, and everyone's everyone's trying their best to get at you. Um, Target has this. I, I remember reading about it in the context of Target. They will do everything they possibly can to get you at that point because the habit, the old habits are all broken and there's an opportunity to put new habits in place. So uh, just to, to pile on what you're saying, it is impossible to underestimate the importance of, of, this, of this, this habitual aspect of human behavior when it comes to buying things, particularly buying things that are more on the commodity end of the spectrum. Right, exactly. And this is why CPG companies are so
1: obsessed with getting young people because you get someone buying a certain brand of deodorant when they're 17, they're going to buy it for the rest of their life. You know what I mean? And again, this is the thing about CPGs and why brand matters and why in the old old style it was about controlling distribution, controlling shelf space and getting your brand on TV and building that sort of affinity so people walk by and they pick one out and they don't even know why mm. and they just pick the same one out week after week after week after week for, for, for the rest of their life. And th- this is the, you know this it, the one sort of bull case that remains for like snapchat like to the extent they can control that demographic that age they will always have value for the simple fact of that it's so it's so valuable to reach those people and build their habits when they're young. And this is not just about people. I mean, this is about companies, right? We talk about culture, for example. What is culture? It's the accumulation mm-hmm. of decisions. And the, mm-hmm. why, why does that matter? Because you can't afford as a CEO or even as a company broadly to be making small-scale decisions all the time. You have to build processes and habits in the way you always do things. That's the only way you can scale up to do other things, right? Habits are critical, and they're, they're important and useful, when you're growing and doing better and they're destructive obviously when they lead you to do the wrong thing but the broader takeaway is they're incredibly
0: powerful so that's a pretty good explanation for why groceries uh making sure that they catch those habits in the same way that all the other retailers historically have recognized that this is a super important uh super important element so you said there were two there were two things that you wanted to touch on that was the first uh, why groceries but uh it's not that this is amazon's first foray into this space like what are the problems that they've had previously well I think you you actually sort of
1: touched on it right you mentioned the people want to experience groceries and the sort of the the fresh food problem of, of doing it and it occurs to me actually we already I mean we already explained this right it was the the fact that people want to sort of experience their groceries for one mm. and two even if you can get past that there is the there is the issue of the fresh food and, and, and in to store it and just to, that second one I think is is the more critical one and what I the issue is it only work. Groceries only work at scale. You cannot sort of like with, with books, as I mentioned earlier. You can start with sort of a centralized distributor, and you can start out with the entire country as your market and build up a, a suitable base. And that's mm. okay because the books aren't going to spoil, right? And you can have access right. to the books. And actually, the way Amazon started, they didn't even hold any inventory. They just acted as a pure middleman, where they someone would get an order and they would just you know get it from the distributor directly and, and send it on. It actually took you know it took a long time to get your books when it, when it started food it doesn't it doesn't work that way you have to get scale and you have to get scale locally because you're you're not going to be shipping avocados you know across the country and and having it be a good a good experience so you have this dual problem basically you have to have a significant amount of inventory such that you're at least relatively competitive to the local mm-hmm. grocery store right if you can only get a few things on Amazon might as well just go to the grocery store you're going there anyway so you have to mm-hmm. have significant inventory, which means you have to have a lot of produce you have to have a lot of a lot of items a lot of meat all that sort of stuff you have to have a sufficient amount so you can have a good selection but at the same time if you don't have a sufficient customer base all it's going to spoil it's going to all go rotten and it's going to be a bad experience and you're going to lose a ton of money inventory that literally destroys itself within like a week you can't just scale up that business from ground zero right you can't build it up by getting a few customers at a time like amazon could with books or they could with cds or they could with tvs like it with sofas or mm. whatever things they want to sell food is just fundamentally different particularly from a supply chain and and sort of warehousing perspective than anything else that that, that amazon
0: has sold to date so they are used to fighting air wars where they can just take the country all at once. And this is very much the opposite end of the spectrum. This is a ground war where you go locale by locale. And if you aren't at scale in each individual locale, you're you're going to end up suffering pretty badly.
1: Right. And what's so interesting about this, and this is sort of the, the – there's a broader insight that – actually, my favorite takeaway, I I, I mean <laughs> – not to you know break my arm, pat off on the back, but the, the insight in this main article like I've, I kind of got that on Friday right away. This sort of secondary one I wrote about in the daily update on Tuesday, and it, is, it probably wasn 't articulated as well in part because it was sort of new, and I saw i haven 't like the, this Monday article the advantage of it, it was built on that article from a year ago, right whereas this is sort of the the new insight I had that Food was it's kind of like a a network. And what I mean is we've talked about how hard it is to build like a new chat app, for example, or a new mm-hmm. social network. Mm-hmm. Why is it so hard to build a new messaging app? Because the number one feature of a messaging app is whether or not your friends and family are on it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how good the technology is, it doesn't matter what features there are, it doesn't matter how cute the stickers are. If your friends and family are not on the app, you're not gonna use it. And yeah. and and it's not and you can't go on a slow Customer acquisition strategy. You're adding people you slowly but surely because no one is finding value from it. You have to sort of get people all at once, and that's why the chat app sort of revolution happened all at once. Because and what was the what was the big hook? It was free. Text messaging costs money, but 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 message in every country in the world except for the U.S. But chat apps were free, so there was a motivation and a reason for everyone to switch on mass. And once that happened, it was over. Like WeChat, one China, it's over. Line, one Japan, it's over. Kakao, one Korea, it's over. WhatsApp, one India, it's over. And, and it's over because the switching costs for a social network are just way, way, way too high. And what's so interesting, that, that's actually really analogous to the problem with food. You need to get scale instantly you can't build up to scale because you get instant scale it now becomes financially viable to carry all these perishable goods such that you have a competitive selection to grocery stores if you don't have scale you're going to lose tons of money if you don't want to lose tons of money you're not going to have a competitive offering and so it's a similar situation where you have to get scale instantly you can't you can't build it up interesting that's super interesting so this is this is the key insight about whole foods what whole foods does is whole foods is like buying a social network because whole foods is already at scale it already has a full selection of items and it has a full complement of consumers buying those items. It has both pieces that Amazon that that Amazon needs. And so what what it means is by acquiring Whole Foods, it's no different than Facebook like acquiring Instagram or acquiring WhatsApp is probably a, you know an even better analogy. The thing with networks is they're so hard to build from the ground up. You're it's almost always better to acquire them. And so what, what that's what exactly what Amazon did here. They bought it whole scale. And so that's step one. They they. Have Have groceries at scale. Now they can start applying the Amazon magic to it, which means completely transforming the backend of Whole Foods. Right now they have an integrated product. They have the old Amazon.com, as it were, right? Now they need to AWS it. They need to change that backend into being services, to being modular, the modular provision of groceries. And what that will enable is now not only can they service Whole Foods as the first best customer, they can also service a delivery business. That is actually at scale, and it, it doesn't matter. It's at scale from a from a produce from a from a supply perspective. It's, it's at scale from an item perspective. It has all the meat and produce it needs. And why doesn't that meat and produce spoil? Well, because it's sold in Whole Foods also. And, and and then they can build up the customer base. They can do the acquire customers slowly but surely over time, and they can do it with a competitive selection that is not making them go bankrupt, which is preferable to Amazon Fresh, as it were. And you can see this once it's productized. What else could they do with a food as a service? They could do restaurants. They could do events. They could do... like There's all sorts of things, big parts of the economy they can start breaking into. But I think... To be clear, I think food and groceries is the big one. I put the restaurants one out there as just an example of how flexible this could be in the long run. To me, this is all about owning the end user, owning the customer, owning their
0: their share of 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 purchasing. Prime being the only thing you think about. Interesting. I mean, it's super interesting. It is a phenomenal argument, as I said right up front, and it 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 was a completely unique take, and I really enjoyed it. That being said. I would like to, if it's okay with you, attempt to play the role of devil's advocate a little bit um, just to pull these things apart. I um, Sometimes I have observed when, at least for myself, when an answer is as elegant as that, it becomes... Uh, it becomes intoxicating to the point where it's it becomes hard to start to think about the reasons why it wouldn't work and i think i think there's value in trying to trying to pull it apart and let's see how well i can do i the, from the let, let's start with the delivery perspective so it makes complete sense that you are jumping up to scale and you build out the the A, aws style primitives where you're delivering you're you're building scale on the back end by delivering to whole foods but it uh, in order to create that delivery service it still doesn't solve the problem of consumers not wanting to have an employee pick out the produce that people have then delivered to them does it that's not all consumers though some consumers will be fine with employees mm-hmm. picking out their produce right
1: and, and you know that's the great thing about about this approach is you can serve people in whatever way they prefer to be served. Of course, some people will always go to the grocery store. But I would note that sort of argument, of course, people always want to go to a bookstore, James. They'll want to be able to look at the book and look at the cover and understand (laughs) it before they buy it. (laughs) Or of course, they always want to go to the mall and try on clothes. They'll want to you know, put them on, that sort of thing. And lo and behold, it turns out people will buy way more online than you think they will. So, it's a fair point, but one, Amazon can still sell them groceries through Whole Foods or or wherever, mm-hmm. and two, that's probably less stringent than you think it is, and three, it doesn't matter because Amazon doesn't, they can slowly but surely wait that out. This, the key thing with Amazon Fresh is they couldn't wait that out because they would, like, yeah. the whole operation would go bankrupt because food is perishable, and, and that's what makes food different, and it's why Whole Foods is so important, and-, and, and if, if that makes sense, the other thing I would say is uh, Instacart is is you know obviously a company that's impacted this. They have a five year agreement mm-hmm. with with Whole Foods. I think one year is gone, so they have four years left. It, I mean, they're they're in they're in trouble, and the reason they're in trouble is they are layering on top of an operation that you know. Whole Foods, everything is geared towards stocking the shelves. That's the whole point of the operation, right? And in the short term, that will continue to be the case for Whole Foods. And even you know, a few years down the road, Whole Foods will probably be like Amazon.com, where it's it's kind of on AWS, but it's not completely. It's 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 a bit of a hybrid thing. Whole Foods will mm. probably always be like that, just because there's so much infrastructure already in place. But in mm. the long run, as Amazon servifies the sort of delivery of groceries. A future Amazon competitor to Instacart, which is basically what Amazon Fresh will be, is it's going to have so many efficiency advantages relative to Instacart. Instacart's trying to layer on top of an integrated solution Mm. for something else, whereas a pure modular solution... Is it, is it as good as a pure integrated solution? No, but you can't build a pure integrated solution for grocery delivery for all the problems we just said. It has to be modular. And it, a pure modular solution is gonna be better than a
0: miscast integrated solution, if that makes sense. That totally makes sense. There's there's all the overhead involved in the integrated solution and then Instacart's taking that and trying to stick something on top of it. So that totally makes sense. Let me Okay, that's me number continue. one. Give me number two. Number two. So... <laughs> So, you talked about social networks, and that is a really interesting way of positioning it. That being said, it makes me nervous that is it the last six quarters Whole Foods has been, has revenues been declining? Like, they're, same, same, they're not. Same sort of sales
1: have been declining, yeah
0: declining right like if i mean the only social networks that i can think of where you can draw analogies to uh where those numbers are happening are not social networks that i would want to invest in um now you don't want to buy twitter um, (laughs) pass maybe i would i would I, I mean, I so I guess the question is: Do you think the extent to which Amazon is going to change the back end of Whole Foods is going to more than make up for the fact that's declining, or is Whole Foods already reached its like maximum potential, and all the other retailers are starting to see what it's doing? copying like adding organic options adding all these other things and it's it's suddenly the differentiation that they've managed to achieve is less than what other retailers are offering yeah the
1: story of whole foods is interesting right because I, i've written all this but from, from the from the amazon perspective there's this really fascinating profile of whole foods founder and ceo john Mackey in i think Te- mm. texas monthly or something like that we'll put the link in the mm. show notes it's well worth reading it's really really interesting uh and um what's it whole foods is being disrupted like that like what is happening is they've delivered this sort of high end experience where in the, you know selling organic and a lifestyle and all this sort sort of things and what happened is is the regular grocery stores have sort of caught up and actually now more organic foods is sold via like Kroger than like Whole Foods for example and Whole Foods aficionados still love Whole Foods and will go to Whole Foods mm. but that sort of the marginal customer that Wanted to be a little healthier, and and, you know, figured like, oh yeah, buy all this processed food is not great for me. They're fine with buying organic food from Kroger's, right? And the prices are way cheaper, and and Mm. so it's. It's good. A good enough option is coming along and uh, and cutting them off in price, and it's exactly you know it's
0: it's the exact sort of story you've seen. I have a I have a funny anecdote. When I was working at Apple, it was the first time I was introduced to this term. But they were like, "Let's go to Whole Foods for lunch." And then then my my manager turned to me and laughed, and she's like, "Also known as whole paycheck." And when employees at Apple are making that joke, you really know it is a high end experience, right? Exactly, exactly. And they and they were losing. You know, again, the, the important thing to understand is
1: never look at things as a whole. People who love Whole Foods love Whole Foods. You have to understand companies on their marginal customer. Mm. And and the larger Whole Foods got, they're like 400 and some stores, right? And, and the more they grew, the closer you get to that marginal customer where the value you provide relative to the cost of that experience becomes harder and harder to justify. And you see, mm. this is why companies struggle with growth. And the mistake you can make in evaluating a company is if you look too closely at their first at, at their first customers who where that the product delivered just is so in the sweet spot they'll pay any amount of money to get it The problem is those number of customers are are, are not a huge number you, to be able to scale you have to get people for who the value is less and less And so we talk about Netflix for example, the way they handle that, is they have more and more shows in their catalog so that today subscribing to Netflix is worth more than it was subscribing to Netflix a year ago. Other mm-hmm. companies have to lower their prices or they have to increase their ad spend. Needless to say, those kinds of companies are less interesting than one that can sort of improve its value, its value over time. Anyhow, that was a bit of a side note. I think the, the answer to Amazon is they don't care. <laughs> if the Whole Foods thing didn't work out they could have gotten the primary benefit, which is getting to scale in groceries, by buying any number of grocery chains. So the fact that Whole Foods isn't necessarily like this amazing engine is fine. And frankly, that means they got it cheaper. I mean, Whole Foods stock price was like seventy dollars like a couple of years ago, and now Amazon bought it for forty two. So if anything, Amazon is pleased about the the slow growth because that means they got it cheaper than they would have mm. otherwise. And, and, and their benefit is orthogonal. They're not buying – and this is why mm. – this is what misses all this. They're not buying a retailer. The fact that Whole Foods is struggling as a retailer is, relatively speaking, immaterial to Amazon. The fact that they're buying a customer completely transforms the way they th- would think about the value. And again,
0: it was arguably a great thing that sales are slowing down because they got it on the cheap. So so bringing that back to the the first question it is the the value of it is entirely predicated on the fact that people's enough people's behavior will change around getting their groceries delivered because this is about the value that Amazon creates using this, they're going to create They're going to create scale in order to deliver groceries and going to be able to do other things that they previously couldn't do without that scale. So this isn't about Whole Foods. This is about what Amazon can then do as a result of that.
1: Yes. First and foremost, that's the reason to make a big acquisition. Now, remember all the things that we said at the beginning of the podcast, the benefits they get from Whole Foods, the prime real estate, the upscale experience, the overlap with prime customers. I'm sure of all the Grocery stores Amazon could have bought, Whole Foods would have been top of the list for all of those reasons, right? Mm. Like there are lots of great things about Whole Foods that are a great fit for Amazon. And frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if Whole Foods goes even more upscale. If you think about it, the future of brick-and-mortar retail is all about experience. Experience is Mm. actually more and more important because if you're just buying a commodity, you're just doing the basics, it's so much easier and more convenient to just use your phone. Just do it and have it delivered to your doorstep. Why do you want, like, does anyone have fun going to buy paper towels? Does anyone have fun going to buy, you know, like milk? No, it's a drudge. It's a pain. But, what's more what's more interesting to go into a whole foods or go to your local grocery store whole foods and they have like these huge things they local food and and fresh beer and they have a wine bar and what like i you i can see them pushing even further in mm. that direction which is the real future of retail the future of retail is experiences and whole foods is a whole
0: lot closer to that than the vast majority of their competitors so we've uh, the we've talked about how amazon is always its first best customer and that they've used their scale to build businesses this is interesting to me because it's the first instance where they have jumped immediately to scale and they haven't been their own customer they're using someone else on the outside and it's not it's not I mean, when they started doing this for uh, b- providing web services for the for the online store, this was like a it was a scale. It scaled with the business, whereas this is going straight into providing thirteen billion dollars well, or providing uh, providing services to a thirteen billion dollar company, which is quite a lot of scale, even for a company that, uh, even for a company that is, I mean, it's Amazon, they are well-known as, as operations experts, but it's, it's different from, it's different, it's different from learning small and then growing big.
1: Yeah. I hear what you're saying. Are you kind of driving at the, yes, you can get the theory here, but
0: acquisitions are still really hard. Well, I, I mean, I, I think I would say acquisitions are really hard. Like this is – you you did a – in the daily update that was subsequent to the article, you went through and looked at all the acquisitions that Amazon's made for over $100 million. And this is twice as big as all those acquisitions – all those other acquisitions combined. Um, it is – Really hard to pull off M&A. I think people, people get intoxicated by it. Like you can, particularly if there's a good story, if you can sell a good story, the market will buy it. They're like, Oh, you'll just execution is easy. And I'm also, I'm also a little bit worried because there's this element right now of which Jeff Bezos could. Uh, shit on somebody's lawn, and everybody would be like, "Oh my god, Amazon is just killing it." They were talking about buying Slack. Oh my god, Amazon would just—Amazon's going to kill it. They've bought Whole Foods. Oh my god, Amazon's just going to kill it. And if the if if you reach a point with a company where it can literally do no wrong, particularly when it comes to mergers and acquisitions, it it's it's the, the, there's a little red flag that goes up in my head. Like guys, like yes, these this company is very good. But it's not Cisco. It's not a company that has this history of, of buying big companies and integrating it in and using it as a mechanism for growth. They haven't got that insight, they haven't got that in their DNA. They have lots of other things, and yes, operational experience is one of them. But this is something very new to them, and it's not as easy as everyone would like to think it is. You're exactly right. I would just push back on one small point that you made.
1: You said markets usually – you can sell a story and the markets will love it. Actually, markets Mm. usually hate acquisitions. Mm. The, The companies that acquire another company, their stock almost always goes down because the markets are smarter than sort of the press, right? The press loves acquisitions. Pundits love acquisitions. They love to write about it and imagine all the synergies and whatnot. But markets know that they usually, it's usually a bunch of BS. It's usually empire building, and the cost of integration are is usually value des- destroying, which I think it's worth noting that Amazon went up and all the other grocers went down. And the reason why I think is it, it's not like it's acquiring a monopoly, right? It's not – I mean Amazon Fresh and Whole Foods combined are less than 2% of the grocery market what i think is going on is this point about networks it, it, this idea where you buy something that you cannot build but once you have you're uniquely able to leverage and again i would i think social networks is actually an interesting analogy here facebook buys instagram they couldn't build a competitor because networks are really hard to build but once they bought instagram they could sell ads for it. They could they could tie it into their infrastructure. It was such a natural fit. And and I really think that this is the case here. And the other thing that goes to this is they're not, they don't really need to integrate Whole Foods that much, especially to start, you know, which I think was very attractive to Mackey. I mean, one thing that's interesting about Mackey is is the the point of that article was saying that Mackie he's he has a vision, but he's a pragmatist, and that's been the hallmark of his sort of career that he will. He, he's not like a zealot. Like he started out mm. – his first store was actually not Whole Foods. It was a natural health store that sold no alcohol, sold no meat, only sold like whole grains. And he's like – and we sold nothing because no one was interested. And the actual idea of Whole Foods, people were calling him a heretic because how can you sell meat in, in, in a natural food store? How can you sell alcohol in a natural food store? But what he recognized was you have to make certain compromises if you want your vision to actually succeed. Mm. And you could argue that that he did succeed, right? Whole Foods was a sort of the vanguard of this entire revolution of thinking about your food in, in in your groceries in a different way. And how did he do that? He did that by holding on to sort of the core point and compromising all the stuff on the side, which is you know probably a broader lesson for everyone to think about. Mm. You can argue this is the same thing here. He's been under pressure from a uh, Jana Partners, a hedge fund an activist, you know, because all the decline you're talking about. And what he's able to do with Amazon, he keeps control. It's still his baby. He gets to decide how they run their business, and they have no more pressure because Amazon's there. And you think about it, why is that possible? Because Amazon Amazon wants a, a great retail experience. They want all the things that Mackey wants. They want the supply chain. They want to think about that and rebuild that. And so I think this is a unique sort of thing where, again, I really think social networks is the comparison. Facebook let Instagram continue to run its own consumer-facing business, mm. and Facebook took over the backside. Let us take over the, the ad selling. Let us build that all sort of thing. You focus on this what you've been mm. doing great. You're building a great consumer experience. You, you stay separate. You do you, right? And- that's what Amazon's going to do here whole foods you do you you build a great retail experience let us take over your supply chain let us modularize it make it you know extendable to lots of different things and it'll be great for both of us
0: it's the power of this uh, i mean obviously they have a hell amazon has a hell of a lot of gunpowder but the power of this ability to orthogonally compete with companies such that they are in a position where they can acquire a company, care pretty much l- less about what happens to its share price and its its profitability in fact to the extent that you actually increase the quality of the experience because you're thinking about the total customer experience from a prime perspective and that then gives them an ability to play for delivery it's just it's kind of crazy when you think about how they've managed to engineer themselves into this situation uh it's very impressive but it 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 will be Really interesting to see how this people's openness to uh, people's openness to buying food and getting it delivered, particularly perishable food, how that plays out. And I don't want to be the one to say this time it's different because you're right. Like the malls, the clothing, all these things buying online that people were like, "Oh, this is never going to go away." But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. But but that's the point. They they have time. They
1: don't, mm. they don't need people to change their behavior overnight because they're already at scale. Like, they can run Whole Foods. The other thing is they can lower the prices at Whole Foods without changing anything because they just need Whole Foods to run at cost. They don't need to make Mm. a profit, right? Like, because what is the benefit that Whole Foods is providing? Whole Foods is providing scale for them, and they can slowly but surely build up Amazon Fresh, and maybe they don't convince you, James, but maybe they convince your roommate. Maybe they convince the person down down the hall, and they they just slowly but surely get people in the habit of using delivery services. And if you don't use delivery services, you can go to your local grocery store, and ideally you go to Whole Foods because guess what? The experience is amazing, and it's super cool to walk in and see all this stuff, and maybe your Prime membership gets you unique benefits, or there's a there's a, I, I, there's mm. all sorts of things they can do about this. Oh, and by the way, it's cost-competitive. Suddenly Whole Foods is cost-competitive with the competition. It's no longer Whole Paycheck. It's the same part of the paycheck as Kroger, and – more organic food and a way cooler experience and way more fun to visit. And by the way, all the unfun stuff, you can just order and it'll be on your it'll be on your door in 2 hours or 3 hours because guess what? Now we have all these urban locations where doing Amazon Fresh is way more viable. We actually have locations in downtown Manhattan. We have locations in in downtown San Francisco. We have locations that are incredibly difficult to acquire and it's the same thing to justify building a warehouse in downtown San Francisco, that's ridiculous. You can't can't justify that. You can't justify building a warehouse in downtown Manhattan. But if you're building a store... Where it's making money on its own, and you beef up the backend operations and build in like a a
0: a full on delivery service into it, that becomes a lot more viable. Yeah, I mean, I can see it. I can see it. You can you you have something out of stock, and you have the person's prime membership, and you scan their phone, and whatever it is that you're looking for gets delivered to their home next time it's in stock. Can- well, no, not just that. If if you're in Manhattan, the likelihood of you having two hour delivery of groceries has just gone up dramatically. Yeah. So I guess the, uh, the, my last grasp at, uh, at devil's advocacy will be, are there any things that give you cause for skepticism over this deal? Are there any things that you're worried about in terms of execution or whether it makes sense, or are you a complete bull on it?
1: I'm, I'm pretty bullish about it, to be You seem to pretty be, bullish to about totally it. <laughs> and, I mean, if anything, the concern is the long-term ramifications of Amazon being so dominant. You know, I mean, like I said, there's not really an antitrust case to make here. It's two percent of the grocery market. It's going to be really hard to articulate something. But the the broader takeaway is when do when do mergers and acquisitions make sense? When are they justified? And we talked about this a few months ago in the context of like Apple Mm. and like why Apple should buy Netflix. They should not buy Tesla. And when you can build something yourself, you should always build it yourself. You can do it according to your processes, in line with the way your company operates. You can do a better job to be fully integrated. You don't have to deal with all the crap of mergers and acquisitions and all the headache that it is, and all the value destruction that goes along with it. Just do it yourself. And this is exactly what mm-hmm. Apple's always done. And Apple builds, sells products, right? And so that's that's appropriate. They sell products that are superior, and that's how they make money. On the other hand. If you're in the network business where there are strong network effects, and they could be network effects like Facebook where it's, it's, mm. it's, a, it's integrated with each other, or it could be two-sided networks where you have sellers and buyers on, on both sides, which I think groceries is more of a two-sided network. You have people buying groceries on one side, and you have people selling groceries. You have all the perishable food on the other, right? Again, I'm stretching the idea of a network, but bear with me here. Those you have to acquire. They are cost prohibitive to build. So you have to acquire them, and what's really interesting and here's this the, the sort of thing to think about here is the future I already said in the case of Facebook Facebook shouldn't be allowed to buy another network, and it was a mistake that they were allowed to buy Instagram and it was a mistake that they were allowed to buy whatsapp and, and this is why it was a mistake. networks are the new monopolies they they are impenetrable, and when you combine them they're just they're all consuming and The reason the market went up, the reason why Amazon stock price went up, even though they spent $13 billion on a retail operation where sales are declining, is, I think, because of this, because they are getting scale, and that scale is of the network sort of variety. Again, I'm stretching the deficit network, bear with me, but if you think about this idea of perishable food on one side and customers on the other, that's exactly what they're getting, and now they can bring to bear – what amazon does best they can integrate it with the prime sort of network sort of idea and this is the future this is when acquisitions make sense when you buy networks why apple should buy netflix is because netflix has that combination of consumers viewers on one side and content on the other that you can't you can't brute force it like at, at this point you could have brute forced it you know seven years ago you can't brute force it today tesla on the other hand they're building a physical product apple if apple wants to sell a car build your own car. Don't go buy Tesla. You're just going to waste money because of all the problems with acquisitions. If you want to be in a content, buy Netflix because it's a different kind of problem. And to me, this is the the bigger sort of takeaway here that, that to me is very intellectually interesting, not just for the aspect of when to acquire, when not to acquire, but also for the future of antitrust and when it's problematic that companies get too big and how do they get too big in the internet in an era where controlling
0: demand is more important than controlling supply. I mean everything you say makes complete sense and the elegance with which you have put this argument together uh makes me even more convinced and one of the I guess and this is where I started to think about I should play devil's advocate in this one because any time I I see an argument that is so elegant. I always like, I need to start trying to pull this apart because I'm, I'm naturally going to put my blinders on and I'm not going to see other things. And we've been talking about this stuff now for three years. Like antitrust was one of the very first things that came up. And it's taken us this long to get to that insight that you just described, which I think is a huge insight. Now, you started to get there on Friday when this was announced and the stock prices have all gone up since then. In the meantime, nobody wrote about it. Nobody wrote what you just said. And yet the market reacted in the way that it did. And I, again, like there's this little voice of skepticism inside of me, which is like, you you are... Uh, you're giving the market a lot of credit. Like, yes, there are smart people that work on Wall Street, but every nobody came up with this explanation. In Everybody was talking about this deal. Everybody was thinking about it. And in what, n- over 96 hours, nobody else came up with this explanation, and yet the stock prices went up. Now, maybe people are intuitively getting it. It's just a little voice of skepticism inside of me that's saying, Hey, I, I don't I, – well, you know, that, that, That's okay though. I mean I don't – so to be clear, I know not base no, my and arguments no, correctness and or correctness that, on the market. I mean what's, what's the term? In the short term – The uh, market mach- uh, is a voting machine and in the long term it is a weighing machine. Right, I mean, I, I, I sort of by large, Amazon deserves yeah. the benefit of the doubt at, at this point, and that
1: probably is what it drove the initial market mm. reaction, as opposed to thinking through at a very sort of deep fundamental level what's what's going on here. But that said, sometimes the market, sometimes mm. that's right, right? I mean, and that it goes back to the let let's presume intelligence yeah. here, you know, like Amazon not just presuming intelligence by Amazon, but also sort of exceptional mm-hmm. intelligence, if if you can say that, they've been right about so many things for so long. They kind of serve the method out. And to your, I get your point. I get your point. That's when it's extra important mm-hmm. to be skeptical because you can sort of lose touch with the reality and fall in love with you know how great you are and make mistakes. But it's also a useful way to think through these superficial explanations are not mm-hmm. Amazon-like. To say that Amazon now has like, Prime real estate. Okay, I can see that being worth it, but how about they just like Amazon could just buy real estate? You know what I mean? Or, or Amazon could just there's there's way more efficient ways that they could get the mm-hmm. supposed benefits that people are writing about from Whole Foods it, instead of just buying thirteen point seven billion dollars worth worth of of company. Yeah. So then you think through what it is, and you know you mentioned in the in the pre show that you were going to bring up the watch as an example of falling in love with your argument. I mean, frankly. My mistake with the watch, which by the way, I will, you know, with our podcast, where I'll completely admit I was totally wrong. Remember, I had it right the first <laughs> time, right? And the original argument was the elegant argument. I had to twist myself into a pretzel to make the opposite argument. And I made that exact mistake. I gave Apple the benefit of the doubt. I'm like, my obvious response to this being wrong, it's a very elegant argument. But come on, yeah. Apple has done this again and again. There has to be a deeper thinking here. And I twisted myself into a pretzel to justify it. And you were right. I was wrong. And so I I actually, I mean, it's not a failsafe rule. But elegance, I think, is generally speaking
0: a positive attribute. It's the twisting into a pretzel that's the problem. and whereas there is an argument to say that uh, the transition that's taken place inside of Apple over the last few years would justify the loss of that elegance, if there is any one person, any one CEO on the planet right now that does justify this kind of elegance of thinking, it is undoubtedly Jeff Bezos. It is. It is. Anyhow,
1: it, it, it will be fascinating to see this play out. Uh, also, our thanks to Amazon for making it so we didn't need to talk about Uber this week, which is always... Uh...
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: right? And our thanks to Melchim for sponsoring Exponent as they do every week. I will I think that's all. I will talk to you next week. Sounds good, mate. Have a good one. All right, bye-bye.